Podcasting, the final frontier. Today on Writers Get Animated, we go boldly where no podcast has gone before. 50 years into the past to Star Trek's origin. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell, VFX and sound effects expert. Trexpert. No. I, I know, I know, I'm sorry. I, I jumped the gun on that. But welcome. Today we're talking about a great thing. We're talking about Star Trek. Not just Star Trek, but Star Trek the Animated Series. Not a lot of people have a lot of experience or Star Trek experience with the animated series. So we're going to talk about it in celebration of the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And to do that, we've invited a very special guest. We have our Writers Get Animated Star Trek expert, Trek Stordinaire, Josh Culbertson. <laughs> okay, I'm done with them, but <laughs> Josh Culbertson. Hello, Josh. Hello, everyone. I think I'm getting a little too much credit, but I do love Star no. Trek. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I'm sure you know way more than I do. I'm like a, a casual Star Trekker. I'm like a Trek A, not a Trek E. I'm not quite at that level. <laughs> I, I see. I, I think then that's where we're going to start today. So we're going to, we have several episodes that we're going to discuss today about Star Trek, the animated series, but we want to start with first talking about our experience with Star Trek. So our personal Star Trek experience. I know I said I was going to stop, but I had one more. I'm sorry. But um, we're going to talk about our personal experience with the Star Treks. And um, then we could talk about this animated series thing and where this came from. And then talk about these the storytelling in these. Since we are a podcast about animation and storytelling, we'll figure out the storytelling and what makes this so special together. So um, I want to start here with Josh, our guest. Again, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. But thank you. I appreciate it. I yeah, do. Thank you. Um, what is your Star Trek experience? My Star Trek experience, well, I was born in the mid-70s. So I remember as a child watching the original television series. And, of course, I was very young when the, the motion picture came out. But I can remember watching it as a child and just being in awe of the, the ship exteriors and seeing the beautiful lighting and, and all of that. And then perfect timing for me, I was 12 when Star Trek The Next Generation came on television. So that was like very exciting for me and I'm slightly, little, I'm right about the same age as Will Wheaton, so like seeing Wesley Crusher <laughs> on the screen kind of like gave me a way to vicariously feel like I was on the show. Was that why they had Wesley on there? Was that the whole reason for like the to oh. get the kids watching? We can get into that a little bit when we talk about the conception of this animated series. Because I feel like... Yeah, because I can add a little to that too. Yeah, it's like the Bill Murray Scrooge where they have the little mice in the show so that the cats can start watching TV. Is Wesley Crusher like the mice 
in the movie I'm Scrooged. What? Well, they say that what? Wesley was supposed to be like Gene Roddenberry. Like that was his way of like being able to kind of be this curious observer and participant in this environment. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just going to see like, shut up, Wesley, as shut up, Roddenberry. <laughs> shut up, Gene. I'm, I'm sure sorry. there were many times sorry, I wanted to say that. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Gee. So, uh, what, what was your experience, Mackenzie, with the Star Treks? Um, I have a spotty Star Trek experience. Um, I was born Did you say spotty in, or scotty? I'm sorry. I, I had a scotty Star Trek experience. It's kind of more British than Irish and not really either. Um, so Welsh. But, but go on. <laughs> true. Uh, knowing Welsh people, true. Um, I was born in the late 80s, so I had the unfortunate experience of not being allowed to watch The Next Generation because I was too young. And Mm. I've never really seen it. So my first Star Trek experience, I watched probably Voyager first, which Mm. I stand by and really like. I didn't get into Deep Space Nine, even though they overlapped. I just wasn't into it, so I didn't watch it as much. Um, and then my dad had VHS tapes of like all, all the old nerdy TV shows, which I cherish still. And so I did see all the VHSs of the original Star Trek in like 95, 96. That was just a thing that we did. And, uh, I've seen movies one, two, three, and then all the next generation movies. And I've seen the first reboot movie and thought it was so terrible. I could skip the next two. And I watched most of season one of Next Gen on Netflix and wondered who the crap is Tashi Yar. I don't understand this. I'm going to stop watching it. Josh is yeah. laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. T- Tasha doesn't make it far, but she comes back. Oh, yeah. I, I saw her death now. and I, I did some reading. Hashtag spoilers, but spoilers on something that's 20 years old as we're talking about something that's 40 to 50 years old. So... <laughs> My experience lands directly in the middle of the two of you, because I was born in 79. So I'm like right smack dab in the middle. Um, For me, uh, my mom watched Star Trek, the original series, a lot in rerun form. And she watched every episode of The Next Generation. Um, She bought me a communicator uh, when I was in high school. Uh, Went on with a magnet, and then it made a sound effect. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I remember a lot of my friends at the time when I was in high school were really big into Star Trek. I was more into things like The Mask. So one Halloween, my friends went as uh, two Star Trek people, and they you know made sure they had the right number of pins on their uh, color on pips. Their color pin. Yeah, yeah. pips. And um, I went as The Mask. And one of my, I went over to my friend's house to pick them up, and um, my dad, and their dad was like, "Hey, we, now there's like two Star Trek people, and you have an alien." And I'm like, "No, I'm, <laughs> I'm the mask. I'm Jim Jim Carrey. Come on, it's, it's like a living cartoon, man." And no, it was it was pretty bad. But then, um, <laughs> as I went into adulthood, you know, I watched the movies, so I experienced it more through the movies, and I watched. Um, I was really big into Star Trek Enterprise only because of Scott Bakula, because I was amazing fan of Quantum Leap as a kid. 
So I watched every episode of Quantum Leap and I was just hoping for, it was like they have the perfect person and I felt like they wasted him so much. I wanted Scott Bakula to be so much Scott Bakula and it was just so, tell you so what, disappointing. What really changed my mind about Scott Bakula? Looking. Scott Bakula is a gay flower shop owner. Perfect. That's it's neither really here nor American there. Beauty too, but not not to defend the Bacula. Hashtag defend the Bacula. But um, I, we doing I think he's, now? He's, he's, hey, you started it. Hashtag spoilers. Hashtag, oh, I did do hashtag spoilers. So <laughs> I'm not trying to do any. I'm adding on to something that you started. But um, that's that's my experience with Star Trek. See, I wanted to white to like Star Trek Enterprise, and. It wasn't really... I don't think it's Scott Bakula's fault. No. No, I think he did wonderful... <laughs> Hashtag don't blame the Bakula. Yes, no, it's not the Bakula's fault. But they did too much to me. Um, and I realized they had to do certain things to keep the show interesting from a writing standpoint. But they, they introduced too many cultures and aliens that they shouldn't have met at that point, And they started messing with the canon and that sort mm. of... I, I wasn't feeling good about it. Yeah. Went a little off the rails. This is, I guess, before the big canon obsession of the 2010s, too. With, like, Marvel and Star Wars and everybody doing their canon stuff. Right, The canon has very... entered the popular canon only recently. That's very true. And I think this was their first experience with really delving into the past of a big property like that. Of, okay, let's go into the past and, wait, we can't mess up anything from the future, but we have to keep this interesting. But we also want to play fan service but we can't do this because they haven't met this because that's the first time in this so they they wrote themselves into a lot of problems so then we ended up with crazy time travel stories and it, it just got really confusing i'm like oh now wait scott bakula is going through time trying to fix things that went went that went wrong with star trek where has this been done before How, why do i know this <laughs> plot ah <laughs> uh. Every Star Trek season finale ever. <laughs> that, that too, but... In defense of Star Trek, hashtag defend the Star Trek. Uh, I think that Star Trek does do time travel really well. Most of the time. That's something we'll have to talk about, I think, in this episode. Like, when do they not do star time travel? I, I feel like there's always something to do with time travel. At least lately. Um, but I mean, we'll get into it's that. always been talking like about this. Well, in Star Trek Four, the whales is one of the most the voyage home where they travel right. back in time. To, it's one of the most popular films. So yeah, yeah, Star Trek Which Four, is one that I have the one with seen. the whales. Yes, that's that's the um, most uh, popular one with people who aren't diehard fans. Right, like my mom doesn't enjoy that one, but my dad loves that one. My mom really enjoyed, like, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, I believe. We saw that in the theaters. Somebody yeah, gets I, I enjoyed framed, that one. But yeah. yeah, she thought it was really good. And um, that is Josh, actually, yeah. Well, go ahead. What's up, McKenzie? I'm just saying you can enlighten us a bit, because I forget. Is it the odd numbers or the even numbers that are good? Personally, I think, like, I know you said you didn't enjoy them. But I could watch two, three, and four all over. I mean, every day. Two's and good. Yeah, the Wrath of Khan, the the Moby Dick yeah. parallel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two's great. 
And I've seen, I think, most of six. I did lie about that. I think I watched part of it for my Hamlet thesis in college. Like you do. Which is why I'm a, a co-host slash co-nerd of an animation podcast about story writing now. Story writing? <laughs> hey, story writing. It works. It is it's storytelling, story writing. It's writing stories. <laughs> it's all that. So... Yeah. So we're coming from a lot of different directions with, and oh, it's a little bit like Star Wars Episode Seven, where maybe there's a part of the map that we each hold. So each of us is a different like astromech mm. unit trying to put this map of Star Trek together. Mm. I I'm not a full Trekkie, but I, I know that that's a faux pas to use a Star Wars metaphor when talking about Star Trek. No, I'm I'm one of those Star Trek fans that loves both. I I can't imagine a world without <gasps> either of them. I know that's blasphemy. They're, they're they're different things. They have different goals. There's no reason that's for them true. to be in competition. Galactic and fantasy it, and yeah. Let's just talk about how Stargate is up there too. It's just the third star franchise. It's equal with the other two. I've never I, watched it. <laughs> I I could I, I've never watched it either. I've never watched it either. I'm sorry. Oh, we can watch I'm the sorry, Stargate animated series for a future episode. Okay. We'll hashtag doing that later. <laughs> okay. All right. Josh, why don't you introduce us to Star Trek colon the animated series? What made this special? What made it? What made it? To me, what made this special, honestly, is that it kept Star Trek alive. I mean, the original television series only lasted three seasons, and that's really where the the show started to get legs and gain popularity. It was after that that fans started to hold conventions and that the popularity really started to build. So this was a response from the studio to put something out to to satisfy that demand. And um, I believe, you know, we, we were just talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, and I think that that, that demand then you know led us to where um, George Lucas was able to bring us Star Wars, and then Star Wars, of course, is what prompted Paramount to go into their toy box and see what they had that could compete, <laughs> and come up with Star Trek the Motion Picture. So, um, just a I, couple years after, I think. Cause yeah, I the think animated series. Yeah, it was just a couple years after. Well, Star Wars and Star, Star Trek. Wars, Star Trek. Yeah, Star, Star Trek. The the motion picture was, I think, seventy nine. And Star Wars was seventy seven. Yes. So yeah. There was like, wait, we we need something up there. Let's get these guys, up. get these guys out of the mothballs and throw them up. Not that they kept William Shatner in mothballs at the time. So this is proof that competition is good, and they just kept making each other better. You heard it first here, folks. Writers get animated endorses capitalism. When it's related to things that begin with star. <laughs> yes. Only star-related things. Star versus the forces of evil. Star Wars. Star Trek. That's you can say Stargate, even though I... Oh, thank you. Stargate. Stargate. My favorite. <laughs> Teal. So this was um, the animated series. It ran for two seasons. Started in 73. I know, quote-unquote, two seasons, but 73 to 74 (laughs) on NBC. It only had 22 half-hour episodes. So how is the format different from the original Star Trek? It seems to have been pretty similar. I mean, they seem to follow um, 
very similar story formats and some cases even going back and pulling story elements from television episodes from live action television episodes to use in the animated series and you know, the original cast was mostly brought back Walter Cut Koenig was not a part of that so why uh, Walter I don't know if it's because he wasn't actually original cast because he wasn't in the first season of the television series I know ultimately it comes down to, to dollars and cents but more than, I mean, speaking about capitalism to bring that back yeah, <clears throat> yeah. They, they originally only wanted a few of the cast members because they they thought hey we can't afford the whole cast but even the fact that they were trying to get the original cast is completely different from the way that we think of animated spin-offs now i think it's very rare for us now to get the live action cast on an animated show but this was yeah. revolutionary at the time to grab the actual voice actors right because originally they only wanted william shatner leonard nimoy and deforest kelly and then when Leonard Nimoy learned that George Takei and Michelle Nichols were not being asked back, he dug in a bit and said, this show is supposed to be about diversity. Those are the two that most represent diversity on our show. I'm mm -hmm. not doing it if they don't do it. So he used his weight mm -hmm. to leverage the studio to bring them in as well, which I think and is I, a beautiful story. That's partly fascinating to me because I recently watched the video about Michelle Nichols talking how she was going to leave the original show after the first season. And I don't you've you've heard Josh is nodding. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, nodding. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> yeah, story. Nichelle, yeah, yeah. Nichelle Nichols was um, at an event um, doing something, and then she just gets tapped on the shoulder. One of her security people, or whatever, was just said, "Hey, a fan wants to meet." And she goes, "Okay." And she turns around. It's Martin Luther King. And she he thanks her like, "Hey, it's so great. Our kid, you're one of the only TV shows that we let our kids stay up and watch because we think it's great what you what you represent." And Nichelle says, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm leaving the show, though. And Martin, because I'm on a first-name basis, Martin <laughs> looks at her and says, you can't do that. It's just <laughs> not kidding at all. And tells her about the value of what she's doing. And she is, uh, she is groundbreaking on TV. And it's so interesting to look at that because watching it for the first time in the mid 90s like i didn't really realize how big of a deal her role was because they don't make a big deal out of it and even on the animated series we didn't i didn't watch this episode but there's an episode where uhura takes charge of the enterprise right. so in 1974 there's a black woman in charge of the enterprise the flagship of future america and she's so. she's completely in charge of it yeah which is great. I don't know. I like it. I value that story about Leonard Nimoy because he saw that it was about diversity, which is my main trouble with Star Trek nowadays. Is is the lack of diversity or well, not lack of diversity it doesn't challenge its diversity now. The original Star Trek series envisioned a crew of a spaceship that was so diverse and so unthinkable based on the current politics of the time. Um and that's not what Star Trek does now. If we had a Star Trek cast now, we'd have like a Puerto Rican woman, um, an alien who is neither gender but like self-reproduces. Uh, I know they've had like a Muslim captain before, but another Muslim captain. Well, and it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward um, 
it was not we not only do we have the the jj abrams films now where they've introduced a, a gay character but also mm -hmm. with this new television series that cbs is doing and the rumors that it's going to be an anthology series where we really could have a, a new crew and a new setting every season mm. Mm, i didn't hear that rumor i like it yeah star trek discovery yes um come next year so Star Trek back on TV again. Let's see. Well, is it on TV or is it just streaming? It'll be just streaming. It'll be on um, CBS All Access. And only in the U.S. Everywhere else in the world gets it on Netflix. Except the U.S. And capitalism creeps back into the conversation. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's all it I was always feeling. always does. The big capital C. The big C is always there. <laughs> uh... I guess let's talk a little bit more about the series in terms of like how it unified the show, because Josh mentioned that it does pick up on elements from the live-action show, which I think are the more successful episodes of the animated series, just because it takes something really cool and known and popular, and it explores it in a new way. Uh, and we'll probably talk about the episode yesteryear in a little bit, but it takes the Time Gate and the Guardian, um, which I'm messing up the name of entirely. Is that right? The that's Guardian? Right. That's right, yeah. Yes, okay, I'm doing good. One for one. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't really talk about what the what the Guardian does. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to start this episode in media rest. And Kirk and Spock are getting back through the time, through the Guardian. And like, hey, we're back from our mission. Okay, if you haven't watched the original series, then you probably don't know what's happening right now. But I like that. Yeah, they, they take... They expect you to bring knowledge of having seen the show for some somehow. Um, I think a lot of that comes from their use of the original show Bible mm -hmm. and the the story. Um, what do they what do they say? It was like the the same writer's guide as the original series. So they grabbed the writer's guide, made their own show Bible that it's like here's how we do these shows. Um, and even grab some of the writers from the original series to create work. So it's very much based on, meant to be a continuation of Star Trek. Like you're, it's supposed to be a seamless understanding between it. It's the fourth season, if you will. Right. Which I think is interesting because the show, in, 70, in 1975, the show won an Emmy. And the category that it won in was outstanding entertainment in a children's series. It's not really a children's show. It's not really, yeah, because I think that you have to have this this number one this pre knowledge of of and connect it from the the original series, and then also this. I just don't feel like the themes are really something that children would really connect with. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, it it was the drawings. It was moving drawings, and that those are only for children. Mm -hmm. Moving drawings, if it's animated, it's only for children. Like the puppet movie I watched today, Anomalisa, I believe that's for children as well. Oh, you finally watched Anomalisa. I'm just and saying. How, and the makers of Anomalisa have realized that for the first time, they understand that the Academy doesn't really respect animation. And they're outraged about this and how they were treated, even though it was their first animated film. And are just realizing this for the first time because they made an animated film. <laughs> Yeah, animation, it's only for kids. Hashtag only for children. 
<laughs> Hashtag irony. Hashtag uh, not said with a straight face. Hashtag sarcasm. Hashtag, hashtag not said with a face. Yeah. So, just a face. Just a face. So let's talk about one of the episodes. Probably the one of that has one of the more famous Trek, um, I want to say villains in it. Uh, ah! More Tribbles, More Troubles. Yes! I would call the Tribbles a, a, a villain of some kind. I would they, they cause a lot of trouble. They're an obstacle. They are an obstacle that the crew has to face. Um, so this is season one, episode four of more of Star Trek. More Tribbles, More Troubles. Um, it's a sequel to the episode from the original series called Trouble with Tribbles. Um, Not to be confused with the next sequel to the Tribbles episode from... Did Deep Space Nine do it? Yes, I forget what that one's called. I, I I never saw that. I saw the promo footage of that one and said, "Really, Tribbles again?" <laughs> There's lots of Tribbles in Star Trek, and by lots, I mean like three times. Well, the Tribbles came back in Star Trek Into Darkness. Tribbles Wait, came back, what? not in a satisfying way, but they came back in Star Trek Into Darkness. Are you kidding? I do. I look like I'm joking. <laughs> Hashtag. Am I? Is this a joking face right now? I mean, I always imagine this movie is actually spelled like Star Trek colon in number two darkness. Yes, it does have tribbles. But moving back to more tribbles, more <laughs> troubles. Written by David Gerald, the original um, writer of the original tribbles episode. Coming back to bring us more Tribbles this, and more Troubles. The second part in the Tribble G. Oh, nice. That was... FaceTime 5. <laughs> so um, what what is this story about? Let's let's hop over to Josh. Tell us a little bit about more. Like, do you, You've seen Trouble with Tribbles originally. Yes, yes, yes. Tell I... us a little bit about that so we understand the first thing in the Tribble G. And then we'll um, move on to, to part two. Okay, so in the original series episode, the live action series, a trader or merchant of some sort, um, Cyrano Jones, is on the Enterprise. Well, no, he's actually on a, um, a space station. And he sells these cute furry little balls called Tribbles to the bartender there. And then some of the crew that's there on shore leave... Uh, Uhura brings the first one back to the Enterprise. And then these Tribbles, as they are fed, begin to multiply and take over the ship. And so in the more the animated version, the More Trouble, or More Tribbles, More Trouble, he claims, to, Cyrano Jones claims to have fixed the Tribble problem and that they won't reproduce as quickly. But what they do now is they just simply get larger and larger and larger. And if punctured, they become a pile of triples. Which I thought was a really clever twist on the original concept. That they're actually, it looks like a massive triple, but it's really a colony mm -hmm. of triples bound together into a cousin it type yeah. character from and they're all pink now they're all yeah just for the ease of animation you can't have multicolored tribbles 
Like it's difficult enough to to paint everything else. And but why pink? I, they're cute. Cute okay, things are okay. pink. They're cute. Cute. They look pink. like cotton candy. Well, oh, and it's a children's show. It is a children's yeah, show. Totally, all strictly for children. Just as, for children. As we said before, hashtag tribbles are for kids. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. But uh, this episode, I think, really exemplifies why animation is strong and why it was such a good choice for the air quotes fourth season of the original series because in the original triples episode you have like literal like fabric balls just sitting around the set everywhere and in an animated episode about the triples you can actually make the triples move and behave like a living creature mm-hmm. um so they're more interesting to look at here that, the one that like rubs up against captain kirk's foot oh so cute who wouldn't want it i could see why they got it yeah. See, twenty fourth century Furby. But then they, <laughs> but then they also have to bring the Klingons into it to uh, <laughs> cause even more troubles um, because of having the Klingons be there. Um, and I think the battle sequences and the external things look very, um, very much like the original series, if not maybe a little bit better. I would say. <laughs> Than, than the original series. Yeah, and that's that's uh, one thing I was struck by in watching or rewatching because I hadn't watched the animated series in a very long time. And so in rewatching some of those, I was very struck by the the detail and the precision and the the, the technical drawing of the ship exteriors and everything. Right, and how much yeah. the characters actually looked like the people, the actors that, that they were meant to be. Um, there wasn't a lot of movement i mean it was very much in limited animation in terms of we're just going to move the lips because that's all we have to move in this shot we're only going to move the arm because that's all we have to move in this shot but um, yeah it was very uh, original scooby-doo yeah yeah i mean it was 1973 that's what they were doing and filmation was you know part of that simple animation concept Trend. So, trend. Looking for trend. I think trend was the word I was looking for. Thank you. So, but yeah, it it doesn't feel like a children's show at all. Um, the pacing, it's very slow. It's very mm-hmm. slowly told, and the language in it and the structure of the episode is not written for children's enjoyment. It's, I don't think it's it's not written in the same way. The comedy, when there is some comedy in the beginning, is very, very subtle and small. Mm-hmm. Some good lines of dialogue that are comedic. Right. But um, it's... Cyrano Jones is given the offer of either... It's either he goes to the Klingons or... So I forget what it is, but... It's funny. I ruined the joke and the punchline. I don't know what either of them are, but it's funny. Well, because at the end of the original series, the live action episode, the way that they get rid of the Tribbles is that Scotty beams them all aboard the Klingon battlecruiser. And then the Klingons, I'm trying to remember how the, the, the creature that Cyrano Jones has that will sort of basically eat the Tribbles. The Klingons want that so that they can get the Tribbles off of their ship. <laughs> and so that's why they're, they're pursuing him. And 
at the end of this one, that's really what they want. That's how the episode ends. The animated episode is, am I allowed to give away the ending? Yeah, go ahead. But that's how they, that's how they get the Klingons to uh, stop shooting at the enterprise is by giving them this little creature that hovers above the, the, the tribbles and basically consumes them. I thought it had like a mouth on its underside. So when it like went down, it just like, yeah, I think its mouth is under there to, to chomp up um, and eat these little tiny tribbles really, which is very dark. Yeah. For a a children's show. Yes. It it took off. I I did enjoy when it saw the huge tribbles and was like, uh, no, and took off running. That, (laughs) that was a pretty funny moment, but it, I think it, they, the writers or the directors or the executives who came into the room, whoever made the decision realized about five minutes from the end that maybe this is a children's show and we should change the tone because (laughs) I felt a massive tonal change when the end started happening. I think it, I think the visual moment was there's a massive Tribble sitting on, you know, Kirk's chair, and he just <laughs> shoves it off his chair. I think from that Tribble shove onward, they were like, I guess we should make this funny for kids because the comedy, there, there becomes a little bit more physical comedy. Um, Captain Kirk, like, breaks the fourth wall and looks at the camera and kind of gives a wink like... We got, oh, yeah. we got those Klingons. I forget his yeah, line, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but he gives a very knowing look to the camera. Like, look at us. We're clever. That kind of, which threw me completely. Cause it was, if you watch the first moments of the episode and then if you skip everything and then watch the last two minutes, you'll be like, wait, is this the same episode? Is this the same show? <laughs> is the, the bigger thing. I'm just waiting for a dark, gritty reboot of Tribbles because I think they behave a lot like the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. Because um, they get onto Captain Kirk's chair and they move around, but you never really see them jump or climb or do anything. It's just when you look away, they go places. So I'm waiting for that Tribbles. The real trouble with Tribbles? Like, that that's the name of the episode? The real trouble with Tribbles? No, just Tribbles. Just Tribbles. Hmm. Like Gremlins. That's oh, where, you know, yeah, that's where my is. head was going. These cute little things that turn into monsters. Are triples the inspiration for gremlins? This is clicking in my head, like blowing my mind right now. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's a cute little pet that you buy and you feed it, and bad things happen. It's possible. We just broke the nineties. It all it all starts with tribbles. Yeah, that's the answer. Tribbles. The origin story. <laughs> Speaking of origin stories, can we talk about yesteryear, which I mentioned earlier? We could talk a little bit about yesteryear. Sure. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, the one with the Guardian. And then uh, the main idea is that uh, they come back and they realize that history has changed because no one knows who Spock is. And they determine that it's because Spock was traveling in time as they were like looking at Vulcan history or something. And so it's, Spock couldn't be in time to save himself, his past self. It's complicated. But the long story short is that Spock goes back in time to help young Spock become who he is. In I thought this was a really ways. interesting episode. In yeah. very many ways. And this is something that, again, I don't think he could do on the original series effectively. 
uh, because you do have young Spock and old Spock, and they have to look alike on a real TV show, and I don't think they had the budget back then. Uh, so there's a lot of small character moments that I really enjoyed in this one. They also had to have a monster fight at the, you know, as Spock goes out into the woods to prove to his father that he can survive out there because mm-hmm. his father says, you can't fail your test. And I can't remember the name of the test that he goes on. Um, I feel awful for not having written that down in a note, but there's a test that every Vulcan has to live out in the woods, not the woods, but the wilderness mm-hmm. um, and survive on his own. And not everyone survives or, or not, not everyone survives, but not everyone succeeds their first time. Usually they might fail, but Spock being half human, if he fails, then he, he won't get another chance that failure is not an option at all because of the added pressure on him from the society. I'm trying to think what this would be because I, I didn't rewatch this episode in preparation for the, but it's not like part of like the, the culinar, like the purging of emotion. That Vulcan's um, adults, they right? call it the maturity test at one point. Okay. Right. Yeah. They call it the maturity test. Okay. Um, and it has... There's a, a lot of Vulcan ceremonies. Yeah. Just just to... I, I can't imagine like the Vulcan driving test. I'm sure that that would take <laughs> a month or so or two to try to get that taken care of. And that's uh, just the not showing road rage part. Right. <laughs> yes. It'd be difficult to keep the emotions in check. <laughs> So Spock has to go, well, he takes it upon himself after being so upset about this mistreatment by children, which I feel like is a scene that was shown to us in the J.J. Abrams film. Yeah, it's lifted like shot for shot. Almost wholesale. From I was like, wait a minute, what? J.J.? So I, I got... Not only did you reboot something that was a live action show, but you stole from the animated sequel to that live action show. <laughs> Well, and the interesting thing is, too, the, the, the animated series, Gene Roddenberry deemed it to not be canon. So. When did he do that? The 90s. I, the, the 90s? When, yes. when, they, when they were having trouble <laughs> making With things. Tribbles? I, well. I would have to consult my notes, but yeah, I, I know I read that <laughs> at one point today. But yeah, they, they deemed that to not be part of the canon. Which is interesting because the the television series is where we get James Kirk's middle name in the television series. He's only referred to as James T. And it's in the animated series in another episode also written by David Gerald, who wrote More Tribbles, More Troubles, that he actually says uh, James Tiberius Kirk twice. And mm-hmm. then Gene removes that from the canon. And then we only get it back in canon in what you reference from your Shakespeareance and Star Trek <laughs> The Undiscovered Country during the trial when he's referred to as James Tiberius Kirk. Mm-hmm. So I it, think it gets removed af- from the canon and then gets back into the canon. Yes. Yeah, I think it's back in the canon. But there's so many things that are a first in this animated show, like even beyond uh, Tiberius, the holodeck is in an episode for the first time. I think they call it the rec room. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't really call it the holodeck at that point. But it's still clearly an idea that came to... You can see the, the early I thought for it and then the fruition 
comes to full fruition later with Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, when they have the special effects to make it believable. <laughs> That's what animation let us do it. Let us be the 90s before we had bad computer animation. That's that's very true. I I mean I did appreciate the that they were able to go to different locations in the animated series. Like as we were talking about yesteryear, we get to see Spock, young Spock go out into the wilderness and we get to see crazy creatures that he encounters on on the planet that you wouldn't get to see in the original series. You get to see a fight between two creatures. You get to see um, a fight where Spock, the older Spock now saves his younger self by jumping onto the back of a creature and giving it a Vulcan neck pinch. I mean, it's Godzilla. like a, it's like an action movie for, it, for a couple a minutes. There's a reason you think that. Did you catch the sound effect they used for the creature? What was the it's sound? Just God, it's Godzilla's cry. Okay. Like that's the sound that it makes. It's Godzilla. Yeah, rewatch this episode. It's you'll not be able to not see Godzilla. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to go back to watch that. I don't know if that's like a public domain sound effect you can use, or if they've just gotten away with it until writers get animated, got on their case, and pointed it out. If it's public domain, we should have that at the end of our episode. Like, if that's out there somewhere that people can just take, we should have it at the end. Nigel, take a note! <laughs> you had something, Josh? Well, so apparently, I, I, I did some looking to make sure that I wasn't speaking falsehoods. But Ooh. apparently, after the first season of The Next Generation... The, the licensing for all of the series were renegotiated. And at that point, that's when Gene decided to decanonize the animated series. When they renegotiated licensing? That's what, you know, I'm, I'm getting this uh, from, from Wikipedia. It's, it's the main fact-checking source for writers could animate. Yes. It's, it's, it's the beginning of all research, right? And then you scroll down and you get to the actual resources I just make sure that they've quoted something. I don't even click on the link or look where it's from. As long as it's referencing something that happened and it's registered, I don't want to take it wholesale. But I don't want to click on the link. I don't click on links on the internet. You never know what's going to be in those. Anyway, go on, Josh. No, but yeah, so it says that um, writers that would do things for comic books, novels, role-playing games, they were forbidden from touching anything that was in the animated series. Hmm. So all of that was off limits. Wow. Interesting. So that set the precedent for Disney to get rid of the, the Star Wars. Droids? Yeah, get Star rid of Star Wars droids? No, I'm talking about the whole expanded universe for Star Wars. Oh. So that's okay. the precedent there of saying, yeah, we're just striking this from the record and keeping the, the bloodline of this pure. But, but they managed to find ways to bring things back into it. Like you all mentioned on a previous episode that Dathmir was introduced in a novel. Dathmir! Wiped from canon and then reintroduced through one of the animated series. And coming up, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was originally post- Original trilogy is now being introduced pre-original trilogy, which I think is probably a stronger way to do it. 
I said it. Yeah, I'm excited to have him back. He's a good <laughs> character. I know nothing about Thrawn. I'm I am excited to learn. Well, I I I feel like we should get Jedi Chris O'Dowd and just stop the Star Wars conversation in the middle of our Star Trek conversation. Oh, yes, yes, it's this just, is not the episode you're looking for. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> This is not the franchise you're talking about. This is an oh no on top of an oh no moment. We're oh no exceptioning right now. Yeah. So speaking of inceptioning, so the whole thing of yesteryear, <laughs> going back to yesteryear, is that it's all predicated on a causal loop where mm-hmm. the problem is that Spock goes back to save himself and if he doesn't save himself, then he can't be there to save himself. So, but he's still around. But if he's he still save around himself. because he was in the time travel area. He still survives, even though he didn't survive as a child anymore. So it it's just very confusing how. Also, you know, um, I was said Shatner, but I mean Kirk. Kirk is. <laughs> I mean, both, they're one and the same, really. But, I mean, <laughs> I almost called him William Kirk, but Cap, <laughs> Cap I'm, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. William Cap- Tiberius Shatner. <laughs> so Captain Kirk remembers who Spock is, even though no one else can, because they were protected by, I would assume, to be chronotons. And, and graviolis. graviolis. Like keeping them understanding their particular timeline that they had been on. Um, that's the only thing that I can think of that protected them. I, I, I have no other explanation for what protected their knowledge of things. I don't either. It, I that's, help you. that's the one thing that throws me off is I feel like Kirk shouldn't know either or Maybe we should be into a Back to the Future-ish sec where Spock is slowly fading or something. I don't know. It's where his hand is disappearing. He goes to give the live long and prosper and his right hand's not there. And he's like, oh, gosh, I have to. Oh, you mean like Star Trek 2? Yeah. <laughs> I, have to, I have to get my, you know, I have to get myself to not die in the woods. But he keeps on changing history more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Mostly just by giving himself confidence that it's okay to be who he is. It's okay to be who you are. You're not going to know that now, and you should go way off track of that, and that's the lesson I'm teaching you right now. But eventually, you're going to be who you are. Hashtag, it gets better. Oh. Right? That's what he was doing for himself, really. I mean, I don't know what the, that's what that hashtag is about. I, it's, I know, but... It's about things are bad as a child and they're going to get better as you get older and accept yourself and others are able to accept you for who you are. Even though your mother's going to have a really sassy, just in the background, like close her eyes and be disappointed in you look as soon as you pronounce that you're a Vulcan. It's not quite the same, but there's some parallels. I I see the parallel. (laughs) Okay. I'll, I'll give him the points for that. Okay, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll take half a point. I don't even need a full point for it. I just one might say that you're by point curious. One would not say that. Um, 
I would very much not say that. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit also. There's there's another episode you that you were talking about that um, Josh that actually got an Emmy. Yes. Did the original series ever get nominated for an Emmy? No, I, I don't think. With it being a science fiction show in the late '60s, I don't think it would have been. It wouldn't have been taken seriously mm. to the point that it would have been considered for an Emmy. And I think it's a huge leap forward. Even you know, as much as I, I don't think it should have been considered in a children's category, that this show even was considered for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. Is it the fact that children's animation was so bad in early '70s? that they were able to win by being just one step above and actually being about something. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, but that's what I think by that point, by the early to mid seventies, Star Trek was starting to be seen more for what it really was, which was this vehicle for social change hmm. than, than just a simple lasers and spaceships and all of that. Flying around in space. Yes. Pointy ears. Pointy ears. Yes. Pointy ears. And green women. Yeah. That was a staple. Well, and the the executives initially wanted to, to soften the Spock image and get rid of the, the pointed ears because they thought it looked too devilish. And they thought that people would not watch it. Because they almost look like horns or... or- just yes, yeah, for whatever reason, they thought that it looked, had a, uh, a satanic tinge to it, and they thought that would alienate Christian viewers. So to speak. Wow. I, f- I feel like the eyebrows more than the ears would be a problem. I find the eyebrows problematic towards my... Um, I can't even finish that sentence. Never mind. I don't, I don't, where, what do you... Okay. I don't know. The eyebrows, for me... I just always had a tr- trouble with. I feel like they, they, those, his eyebrows were a little extreme. I would have had a problem they, if I was the one that had to sit in a chair and have my eyebrow, eyebrows plucked and redrawn every morning. Yeah. He's got some good edge up. Yeah. I don't even, the, and that's another thing in animation is you don't have to get, you know, um, spirit gum on your ears. You don't have to get your eyebrows plucked. You just get to walk in on your sweatpants and record your dialogue and go home. Not that I ever believe that Leonard Nimoy came in to work with sweatpants. No, um, I, I can't, I can't, that. I can't imagine <clears throat> that, but that's the big voice actor goal where they always talk about, yeah, I just roll out of bed. I go in, I don't, I do my acting and then I leave, but I don't, I don't, I can't imagine Leonard Nimoy with like a, sweatpants ensemble Mm. going in to record his lines. But it was interesting that they all recorded their lines separately. Mm. So none of them were ever together. Um, I didn't realize that. And I feel like it shows at some points where I could see that with the dialogue, uh, especially the young Spock. I, (laughs) I don't know where they found that child, but it was like a reject from peanuts and <laughs> like, can you read these lines? Yes, I can read them. Can you say them believably? No, but you could read them. Yes. Come on. Okay. All, right. All right. Come on. We in. have to go to the wilderness. 
Yeah, improve my maturity. It was pretty awful. But um, what was the episode that they actually won the Emmy for? The one that they actually won the Emmy for, I want to look this up here to make sure that I say it correctly. It was How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. Which is totally a name for a kid's episode of something. Yes, I mean, that says kids all the way. Kids like snakes. My son likes snakes. Jack likes snakes. So You're trying really hard to justify that. (laughs) I'm doing what I can. I'm helping. I'm thinking like an executive. Kids like snakes. That sounds great. Super's tooth. Okay. And what happens in this episode? In they this, win an Emmy for? In this episode, and I am was trying to weigh out in my mind earlier today whether in 1974 this was greatly um, culturally aware or if it was culturally <laughs> insensitive. Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, because they they encounter, well, mysteriously, at the beginning of the episode, Sulu is not at the helm and has been replaced by a uh, Native American helmsman. And then they encounter this ship that looks like a giant floating snake that resembles a, um, I believe he's, the, the helmsman says he's Comanche, I believe. And then the uh, the captain looks to him to explain because apparently this <laughs> this ship is, resembles a it's actually an Aztec um, god figure and so then the the helmsman stands up and says well I've studied a number of Native American cultures and including my own and I know that this is this Aztec god figure and well it, at least he acknowledges that it's not the same culture yes i think yes at least he understands that and it wasn't like ah yes this is exactly the same we can look at this episode in a modern light and say that it's in terms of culturally insensitive or culturally um looking at things it's culturally trying like it really wants to do well and it may be problematic but we can support its its mission to do good yes and I think that was the intention of it at the time in the 1970s. Because how it wasn't very often that you would see that kind of, that that kind of character in a Just, role up front. I mean, yeah, you had to replace Sulu, I suppose. It's like, well, yeah. we can't have them both. Um, it's like, so let's you can only see people Asian like group. that yeah. on Star Trek or Super Friends, one of the two. Yeah, I, I feel like things like the super friends, when they pull into characters that are of other races, I feel like they were checking off boxes and not actually trying to do something. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's like, we need to check off this box. Check off. I, I know. Sorry, check off this <laughs> box. <laughs> he wasn't in the show. He wasn't in the show. No, no check off. But uh, Super Friends, I I feel, was done with, I don't want to say bad intentions, but from the wrong direction. It was done with marketing intentions. Right. The big big C comes back. (laughs) Capitalism Capitalism comes back. What what big C did you think I meant? 
I just had no idea what Big C. Cookie Monster? Yeah. Yeah. Cookie. I'm, yes, oh. I was talking about Cookie Monster. Yeah. Oh, no. So, <laughs> but what I'm intrigued by this, by this snake now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, what, I wonder what it was about this that, that had them th say that this would be the one that they would submit for that Emmy. I feel like. Right. Was and this the second season? This is the second season, which the second season was only six episodes. So um, the first season was, I think the first season was 18. The second season was six, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it was much shorter. So I don't know if it was originally intended to be longer and then cut short. Um, so I don't think they had as many episodes to select from. Because um, you actually have to submit to be considered for an Emmy. You actually have to submit a sample to be considered Hmm. I, w I wonder if that was one, one with one of the more straightforward plots that they could submit so that way the people who do the Emmys could follow it. Would, would you agree with that? Possibly. Um, I know the, the one that the other one that I, we watched out there, the counterclock incident. Um, which I believe was the final episode that that that's out there of the of the series. It is was a really strong episode, but it was very heavy on concept and very mm -hmm. conceptual and confusing in that way. Like maybe the writing was better, but they couldn't risk it on <laughs> submitting something like that. That's a little bit bigger and grander in idea and scope but where does this where does this end up like what how do we what is this snake in space uh how does this end up that's honestly what i was trying to look up right now because i'm trying to remember exactly how well the show is not emmy worthy I mean, in my mind it wasn't and <laughs> I was trying to remember exactly because I, I watched a few different shows and I'm trying to like, I think I'm blurring the endings and I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm right on this, but I didn't realize that the, the line, um, and maybe you did realize this McKenzie and just assumed we did, but apparently the, the line, how sharper than a serpent's tooth is a reference to Shakespeare and comes from King Lear. I learned that also looking at the same Wikipedia article right now, probably. Okay. <laughs> Possibly. Yes. <laughs> I'm just, I skipped to the end of the summary, and it sounds like something I would watch. With the power cat threatening Kukulkan, Kirk leaps at the animal and is able to sedate it with a hypo. Yes, okay, yep, that's coming back to me. And we are reading the same Wikipedia article. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, okay, so the episode is about how humanity doesn't need God. Okay, that won them an Emmy in the 70s. Um, Kirk again attempts to reason with Kukulkan, conceding that while the alien did help humanity when it needed it, they no longer need his guidance. The alien reluctantly agrees and departs. Hmm. So that would have probably been a thought that challenged some people. Mm -hmm. Totally an episode for kids. Deserve that children's Emmy. Yeah. Again, hashtag for the kids. Yeah, it's Think almost, of the children. It's almost like the, the Disney habit of writing for children and then throwing in 
elements that adults can appreciate. It's like it's the opposite. It's like they've written in they've written an adult series and then thrown in elements that kids might connect with. Yeah. Oh, a giant snake in space. Let's go for it. <laughs> oh my gosh, these tribbles. Oh, I fell over. <laughs> like yeah. Here, here's a joke for you too, kids. Was that the nutty professor meets the tribbles? Yeah. Oh, these tribbles. I. I feel like I've totally failed as a trekspert on this episode. I, I would disagree with that. I you disagree. have educated us that Star Trek won an Emmy in the 70s, and there's a giant snake involved. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think the, the, deep, the thing about Star Trek the animated series is it wasn't... Not a lot of people watch it, and if they have watched it, it's only now that it's back on Netflix that people are really experiencing it again. Wait, so, this is on Netflix? Yeah, it's it on is Netflix. on Netflix. Yes. Ah, uh, I worked really hard to find episodes and didn't even check Netflix. Mackenzie, 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 always start with <laughs> Netflix. I learned my lesson. You could also watch episodes of the original series on Netflix and Star Trek Enterprise on netflix yeah actually all of the television series are on netflix mm-hmm. mm, good weren't some movies on there at 1.2 several of the movies are currently on netflix as well okay mm, that might be what happens tonight <laughs> more star trek more star trek and why not we're, we're set to get more star trek in the coming years um hopefully that... they'll venture into more animated star trek i would watch that well, we'll have to see. I mean, it right now, Star Wars is very much getting all their animation out there with their series. So, mm-hmm. Star Trek, Star Wars has their films going, and then their spinoff films, and then they have their TV, one TV series which is animated currently, or their main one. I guess they have a Lego one that's started up recently that I haven't watched yet, but. Star Trek, they have their movies and they have their TV series, both live, both live action. They may not see a need for animated series. But since yet. since we noted the two do have a tendency to push each other, it's possible that Star Wars could push Star Trek to come up with something at least something possible. a little bit more for children. But yeah, I feel like their their energy are on the the films and the new live action series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would venture that Star Wars is finding a more um, significant balance in their TV series about... In the Force. Right, right. I, I, I was very... <laughs> I kept that word for a reason, but there's a balance between is this for children, is this for adults, is this for children, is this for adults. I believe that both Clone Wars and Rebels are striking a nice balance. I feel like they age up for older children. Um, I would not let Jack watch Rebels necessarily because it's just a lot of things would go over his head, but he would definitely not watch Star Trek, the animated series, as as a child. I think I probably would have, if I had watched it as a kid, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. I was more into the talking animal animated film Mares. yeah we didn't watch any Mares episodes for this so <laughs> so the thing we neglect to say is that star trek the animated series did introduce two new characters one of which was Mares, the 
anthropomorphic cat with long hair who is a communications officer. Right. And Eric's, who we did see, I just think is so interesting and weird because he's not an f- interesting character as far as I can tell. But he has three arms. One comes out of his chest. I guess that's part of the making it look more interesting for kids part. Right. And I think that's um, they, this was before Star Wars came out. So the, the thing of having people on the crew who were aliens and these creature-like characters was set in motion by Star Trek. It's not just humans. It's actually making it larger. But I, I just look at Eric's and think, you're the reason Walter Koenig didn't have a job on this show. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Russian three-armed alien. Oh, gotta Russian. Get- I just don't know what to choose. I think it had more to do with the wage scale. Yeah. 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 Although James Duhan voicing, I didn't know that James Duhan had such a large vocal range. Duhan? Duhan? J- J- James Duhan? Duhan. He, he, he voiced, Duin. Er, did, are you saying he voiced Eric's? Yes. Oh, uh, did I he? Yeah. That. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. And like all the other extra male characters on the show. Apparently he was a very good voice actor. I also read, learning about the set, he was trying out many different accents for Scotty and then decided that Scottish is the one to go with. So I don't know if he was Scotty before he had a Scottish accent. Chicken or egg? I don't know. I don't know at this point. So, uh, Josh, as our guest, I want to invite you. What was your favorite thing from the episodes that you watched favorite thing favorite moment my favorite moment i don't know if i really had a favorite moment um sadly i feel like that my favorite moment was just seeing the was just the fact that it happened like i said before just the fact <laughs> that it kept well I, I i feel bad putting it this way but i feel like this is what kept the franchise on life support mm-hmm. and this is what kept it alive so that it could actually really be rejuvenated later and this and just kind of kept it in stasis. So, so my, my favorite part is that it provided that, that bridge element for those years that it was needed. Hmm. That's what the movies are doing now for me, so I totally understand. Yeah. How about for you, Mackenzie? What was your favorite thing? Uh, tribbles that move, tribbles that nuzzle up, and like who doesn't want a fluffy pink tribble that doesn't multiply but just gets bigger like a beanbag chair? Tribbles. Uh, mine... Uh, has to be Kirk in the Tribble episode, just turning to the camera and and essentially winking. Like that that moment was just so far away from anything I'd ever seen in Star Trek ever <laughs> that it, <laughs> it was just so wrong and didn't work on so many levels that it it, yeah. it was it was just my favorite thing that happened. It's possibly. Because I probably would have written that into Star Trek. Like, I would write fourth wall breaks and weird stuff. And I'd probably hide, like, a lightsaber in there somewhere. You know, just some little weird stuff to play around with it. But I I did enjoy him winking. For homework, we're going to be talking about a new show that's coming out on Fox 
Son of Zorn. Um, so episode one of season one, uh, Return to Orange County. And we're going to compare it. There's a father and son, as can be implied by the title, Son of Zorn. Um, there's a father and son relationship there. We're going to compare it to the father-son relationship in... Venture Brothers! Go Team Venture! Um, season 4, Episode 3, Perchance to Dean, which is another Shakespearean-inspired title going with our theme this of week. Shakespeare stuff. Just Which is following up on last week's theme of Shakespeare. That's right. So... See, it's a thread. Shakespeare's like a thread. Somehow. I, I, I'm trying to think of a Shakespeare quote. Yeah, I can't. You know that new, like, that new lyrics app? Yes. For messaging on your phone? If there was a Shakespeare version of that? I, yes, that would be wonderful. Million dollar idea. That you've now said to everybody else on the podcast, so... Well, I can't do it. Um, as always, thank you to uh, Nigel Catino, our audio engineer slash waterboy, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. And thank you, Josh, for being here and being our um, Trexpertise. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I listen to you guys all the time, so it's an honor to get to be on the show. Yes. Awesome. And as a quick shameless plug for Josh, Josh also has his own podcast. We are compatible, so look for it on iTunes. Go search for it. Um, it's a good conversation that needs to happen. So. Yes, please listen to us. <laughs> we and, are and, compatible. And write a review for the, for we're compatible and for Writers Get Animated. Yeah, thank you. As yes. we should. You thank can you. find us on the web at, on Twitter, at, what is our, oh my gosh, at WG Animated. WG Animated. Facebook. I know that Facebook.com slash WG animated. And for any show notes and information that we have, go out and uh, go to writers, get animated.tumblr.com. As we say in star Trek, may the, f no, uh, live long <laughs> and prosper. And the response is peace I mean, and long life. Is there a response? Oh. There is a response. I always thought it was, and also with you. No, that's that's Methodist Vulcans. No, that's that's, yeah, that, and Lutheran Vulcans. Lutheran Vulcans. Lutheran Vulcans. <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of what the audio equivalent is of the last um, picture in the ending sequence of Star Trek: The Original Series, where it's just the really weird alien and the weird light. I don't think there's really an audio version of that, so I'm just going to describe it to you. Just imagine me, Mackenzie Worrell, as a weird alien in this weird front light with giant bug eyes glaring at you as we fade into darkness. Good, good night, everybody. <laughs>